You're listening to Halford and Bruff. As Shen knocks down Pedersen away from the play, now gets it in front, shoots, he scores! Braden Shen scores the overtime winner for the Blues. I haven't liked this game in the last three or four games. We've got to get him going. Pass ahead. Here's Martin Nicolone. Scores! Mobs are celebrating the Hurricanes taking a 3-2 lead late. Good morning, Vancouver. 6 o'clock on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. Gladdy, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech? I Ron Burgundy that one. Kintech? Got a, got a good show. Not a big show. It is a big show. I don't want to... Sound repetitive, but it's a good show as well. 6.30, guest list begins with Nick Shook from NFL.com. We will look ahead at the four teams that are vying for their opportunity to participate in this year's Super Bowl, better known as the big football game. Uh, Nick Shook's going to join us at 6.30, 7 o'clock. Former NHLer, Sportsnet NHL analyst, first-time guest on this show, Luke Gazdick is going to join us. We can look back on the Vancouver Canucks 4-3 overtime loss to the uh, St. Louis Blues last night. We can whip around the NHL with Luke as well. 8 o'clock, it's the Drancer, Thomas Drance from The Athletic in Vancouver and Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Obviously, we'll get into last night's game with Drancer. We'll look ahead to the final game for the Canucks on Saturday against the Columbus Blue Jackets. We are no longer giving away tickets to that game, I might add. Yesterday was the final giveaway. No giveaways, period, on the show today. However, I know there's a lot of feedback already into the Dunbar Lumber text line. I encourage the listeners to send in more. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Uh, get your What We Learns in now. It's your chance to be on the radio. Hashtag them, WWL. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Working in reverse on the guest list. 8 o'clock, it's Drancer. 7 o'clock, it's Luke Gazdick, 6.30. It's Nick Shook. We got a lot to get into. It was a big game last night. Without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Per NHL.com, here is the gamer for last night. <clears throat> Braden Shen scored 154 in overtime for the St. Louis Blues in a 4-3 win against the Vancouver Canucks at Rogers Arena on Wednesday. NHL.com continues. Shen took a pass from Nick Letty and shot past the glove of goalie Casey DeSmith from the slot for the win. They did not mention the cross-check. <laughs> did they mention Petey flopped all over the ice, making making a big meal out of it, making a whole production of the of falling down? Did they covered mention in, that? Covered in snow. <laughs> covered in snow. 
didn't mention it. Uh, the story at the start of the game. We'll get to that. Yeah, eventually. yeah, yeah. Let's go with the the big picture here. The story at the start of the game was that Rick Tockett had broken up the lotto line, switching Petey to play with Kuzmenko and Mikheyev with Suter bumping over to play with Miller and Besser. That worked out. But soon, it was the Jake Neighbors show for the Blues. The 21-year-old was left alone in the slot around 13 minutes into the first. Finally, ho, neighborinos! <laughs> which started, the period started with the Blues failing to get a shot for half the period. Uh, but Neighbors scored on Casey DeSmith, who got the start over Thatcher Demko. After the Canucks couldn't clear the puck, and then less than two minutes later, uh, that Jake Neighbors guy assisted on a Pavel Buknevich uh, power play goal. Through two periods, there really wasn't much for fans at Rogers Arena to cheer for, unless they uh, really liked the chrome blue helmets, I guess. They were there. We can talk about those later if we want. Don't have to. Uh, Now, for those fans at Rogers Arena, I suppose it's a good thing there are three periods in hockey because the third brought, at the very least, some entertainment. The Canucks finally found some life early in that third period when Puce Suter pounced on a rebound and scored with the assist to Besser, who tipped a Quinn Hughes shot. And Quinn Hughes also got another assist. Um, his point total, his assist total is uh, pretty high now. I think we've, there, was a, there was a stat attached to that, which we can get into later. Yeah. Um, so the Canucks score, but right after that, the life in the arena was snuffed out rather quickly when Nikita Zadorov failed to tie up Alexei Toropchenko's stick. Russian on Russian, except they weren't on each other. Uh, that was in front of the Canucks net, and it was 3-1 Blues. Zadorov did, Zadorov did not play after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Canucks kept getting their chances, though. Besser hooked a puck wide when it looked like he had an open net. Soon after that, the Canucks got a power play. And Suter, the man of the night, scored his second of the period. It was pretty much all Canucks after that, including a late power play that didn't really ever get going. The Canucks pulled to Smith. Petey got a half chance, broken up by Colton Pareko. Then on the resulting faceoff, it was last chance for the Canucks. Suter completed the hat trick, shoveling in a rebound from a huge shot that hit Miller's shin right beside the net. Great standing there by JT Miller. He did just a great job standing there. Good shinning. Best standing good I've sh- seen in a while. Really good shinning. Good shinning. From JT Miller. Uh, you for, cut the shinning. For Suter on the night, it was his 10th, 11th, and 12th goal of the season, and we were headed to overtime, where both teams had great chances to score. Sadly, it was the Blues that actually did score. Pressure by Shen on the back check. He knocked the puck free for Nick Letty, and here's a two-on-one for the Blues. Letty, right wing, into the Vancouver end. Carries to the corner as Shen knocks down Pedersen away from the play. Now gets it in front, shoots, he scores! Braden Shen scores the overtime winner for the Blues. People are going to complain. People did complain. People should complain. Halford will complain, but Petey went down way too easily on that shove by Shen. Cross-check. It it was a shove. Cross-check. It wasn't a great overtime for number 40, and if we listen to the comments by Rick Tockett after the game, hasn't been a great three or four games for Elias Pettersson, who isn't moving his feet out there. It was hard to move your feet I guess when you're sprawled across the ice, but getting, getting cross-checked. Um, I think there's going to be most people that are texting in think that 
though, you know, Louis from the Ridge, that cross check on Petey was an absolute joke. Any other superstar in the league gets that call. Imagine that was McDavid. Um, I was much more upset in the New York Rangers game earlier in the season when they missed a blatant trip on Petey because Petey was moving his feet out there. Couldn't move his feet. He was being cross-checked. Okay, look, I want. I don't want to belabor this point too much. Let's play the audio from Rick Tockett because you're right. Rick Tockett was asked post-game about Elias Pettersson and his play as of late. And Rick Tockett did not mince any words in this back and forth, which I believe began with Farhan Lalji, about uh, Elias Pettersson. Here's what Rick Tockett had to say about number 40 following a 4-3 overtime loss to the St. Louis Blues on Wednesday night. Did, did it look to you like maybe Petey was a little off tonight? Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, we had a, I haven't liked this game in the last three or four games. We got to get him going. What in particular do you think he needs to do more? <clears throat> I think he's got to skate. He's got to start skating a little bit. I think he's, you know, I, I, I think he's good with the moves sometimes. But I think when you have speed and make those moves, that's when he's at his best. So yeah, we got to, he, he, I, you know, we'll get him going. I think in this instance, I was I didn't actually plan to do this, but a couple people were saying I'm I'm waiting for a Halford rant. I think I want to take it in a little bit of a different, different direction, but I think both things can be true here. I think you can say that Pedersen had an off night in a string of off nights, and maybe maybe uh, he wasn't exactly strong on his skates when he got cross checked by Braden Shen on the eventual game winning goal. In overtime. Well, I think he went down intentionally. I think it I think you can say this, and I think it can be true. I think you can also say, how is it that in a game where the St. Louis Blues were whistled for three penalties and three penalties only, and all of them were for cross checking, that a standard was not set in that game? How? How can you say that in the game on Saturday against Toronto? The Vancouver Canucks were awarded multiple power plays, including, again, three cross-checking penalties, two of which led directly to power play goals in the third period in a tie game. So you can't even throw out the situational stuff because the referees made a conscious effort in two of the last three games to whistle cross-checking and whistle it with regularity. Because those were real cross-check calls. Oh, okay. So now we're allowing the arbitrary nature of what is a cross-check. Oh what isn't a cross-check? And that's fine. Mike, And that's on. fine. You guys that's get, fine. Guys get shoved. Did you go back and look at every cross-check of the six cross-checking penalties that have gone on in these two games? Yes. <laughs> you. <laughs> now you are lost. Look, I, look, don't get me wrong. And I said this to start the argument so you wouldn't get all up in arms. You can absolutely make the argument that he went down too easy. Well, that's but, why I wasn't called. Then, then, but it's, it, then it's not a penalty. Well, even if, even if it then was a cross-check or interference, the fact that he went down so easily, they cancel each other out. In the same game. In the ref size. They whistled Jake Neighbors for a cross-check, which led to a goal because he cross-checked someone in front of... Finally, ho, neighbor, yeah. he knows. Let's go look at that cross-check and then look at the cross-check that Petey got. And, you like, not all cross-checks are the same. Exactly. Not all do you, cross- do, you, do you know how many times there's an actual like cross check or shove in front of a net during a hockey game? It happens all the time. Petey is a smart player. He knew that he was going to get pressure on that play. Petey is aware of all the players on the ice, and as soon as he as soon as he felt anything in his back, he went down, and he went down in a heap. Now my my argument to get up as well. my argument is more about the 
about NHL officiating in general, and I want to use this as a jumping off point because when we talk about uh, lousy officiating in the NHL, I think a lot of people automatically de facto go to the calls went against my team. The call should have been made and wasn't made. My argument, and what it's been for the longest time, is that there is a massive lack of consistency because NHL officiating is geared towards game management. It's not geared towards calling the rule book and calling what is an infraction and what isn't. It's about Why when are you it happens. This such a big thing. PD went down easily. The ref said, "No, nope, I'm not calling this. I'm, That's it." Because I'm saying it in a game where there were three cross-checking penalties called earlier, there wasn't a fourth. And there was no explanation well, as to why. Yeah, here's the explanation. The rest felt the first three were cross-checks. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you call the first three cross-checking penalties or the referees? Well, you're the one speculating here. I'm not on, speculating on, them, on anything. On, the, on them game management. It is game management. How do you know? Because a cross-checking penalty in the first period wasn't a cross-checking penalty They're not the same. They are They're the not same. the same. Was it a cross-check? They're not. Yeah, in front of the Canucks net? You know what? I'll that led s- to a goal? Oh, my God. Or, or interference. If not a cross-check, like, it might have been interference. Like it okay. could, it, he, I don't want to argue about this anymore. You, you I, could have called it interference, this, but he make, went down early. You're making he went down this, easy. You're making this way bigger than it really well, is. Well, that's what I was just, yeah, I just said that. Because it's more about the quality and level of officiating but and how, you, the, how it works. But you shouldn't be making this bigger than it really is. In the Rangers game, when Petey got blatantly tripped and he was moving his feet and he was trying to make a play, they should have called that. I was much angry that. About was that was ridiculous. One. You know why? Because it was tripping. In this game last night, Petey gets a little shove in the back. He intentionally goes down, in my opinion, and the ref goes, I'm not calling that. Simple as that. Petey should have tried to stay on his feet and defend. He did not have a good game. That's fine. I don't know what's going on with his game. Sometimes you just go through these little slumps as a hockey player. Maybe he's starting to get a little distracted by all the talk about the contract stuff. But if I were the ref in that situation, I would have said, nope, not calling that. Or if I did, I would have evened it up and I would have said, fine, I'll call the cross check. But Petey, you're getting a penalty too. You might as well let the play continue because it was exciting and... You wouldn't want to. All you're going to do is blow the whistle and take both of those players off. Well, the ice. Yeah, but that's yeah. what I'm saying. That is the inherent problem with the whole thing. But frankly, I would, the answer is like, that's oh, why, we can just, but, we can just even but, it up. But, but frankly, I don't even want to do that because I don't even think that Shen deserved to get a penalty on that because he's fighting for his space in front of the net. Petey went down so easily. Again, do you know how many times that sort of play happens in an NHL game? And you know why we don't complain about it? Because the player stays on his feet. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to fight with you because I started this entire thing by saying you can absolutely make a very fair and valid argument that he went down too easy. And maybe he was trying to draw a penalty, right? All I'm doing maybe. And all I'm tra- <laughs> maybe. And all I'm trying to 100%. do 100 percent And all I'm trying to do is offer context. And I think it's completely valid context. I think it's misplaced context. How so is I it won't misplaced even agree. context? Because it because you can look at that play and you don't need to bring in whole game management. You can just look at the play and say it didn't deserve a penalty. Could you have looked at the other ones and said that they yeah. didn't deserve no. a penalty? No. no, those were clear cut. Yes, yes, okay. yes, okay. yes, Mike. So yes, they if were. If you were to take a poll question, yes, though, they were. If you were to take a poll question, because you know who didn't though, think way more it was people clear... would be agreeing with Halford right now than you. You know who didn't think it? Well, because yeah, because we're in Vancouver and they're going to agree with me because the Canucks like, had people were furious. About that non-call, as you know who you know who didn't agree that it was a cross check on the opening uh, penalty, Jake Neighbors. He was vehemently disagreeing with the call. Okay, so well, players never disagree with penalties that 
Yeah, you know who didn't disagree with the one in overtime? Elias Pettersson. I mean, he that, probably that, felt that. guilty. <laughs> anyway, I, but again, I don't want to like really argue because I'm I'm validating everything you're saying off the top, right? All I'm saying is that you have to look at this big picture and understand why there's a lot of people saying this is garbage. And part of it would be, well, there was three cross-checking penalties called prior to the game, including one that was right in front of the Vancouver Canucks goal that led to a goal in the, what was it, second period on on So, so fans right? should be upset that they didn't call the non, what should well, be called the cross-check. And you know what the other thing, too, is, is like I... I, I I know that some people are going to say in response, well, they could have called Shen for a cross check and they could have called Pete for diving. I'm like, I don't know if that's the proper solution. Well, that's why they, but that's, that's why, why they, they let it go. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's why they let it go. Cause you, why would argue, you blow it and just take the two guys off the ice? The, when the you ref, the the ref, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think that's the right answer either. I but would the, like to see yeah. some accountability and I would like to see someone that's wearing stripes last night saying, what is the difference between the two? And if, if someone, here's the thing. If a referee came out and said, we felt that it was a shove and not a cross check, and we felt that that didn't rise to the level of a penalty, okay. Okay. But isn't, so that, but, but, but isn't that what... But those are the same guys that set the, set the standard in the game. But isn't that, like, unspoken? Like, we didn't feel it was it was a penalty And also, those calls never get... call it. Those yeah. calls never get called in overtime anyways, regardless, right? Like, it just never happens. In overtime. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's right. like a, it's like a different game at that point. I'm it not. Was, I'm not just like same rules don't apply. I don't. I, I don't know if that would have been called during regular play. Petey ask, was at the end of one Jay of the longest Na- shifts. Ask Jake neighbors if it would have been called. That was one of the longest shifts of Petey's game. He was tired. He he took it out. He felt okay. the push. He went down easy. The ref didn't call it. That's All right. what it's it is. Seventeen minutes in, I didn't really want to. <laughs> Argue about the call that much, but yeah, neither uh, did I actually. Well, to be you, honest, you, you, I just kind of got going. You trusted that nine minutes prepared. ago. <laughs> I just got uh, no, honestly, I wasn't that prepared. I looked up the uh, the box score from Toronto. To be honest, though, it is the major talking point of last night's game. So I mean, it's a good discussion to have. Um, talk its comments on Elias Pettersson. We got one game until the All Star break, and then the PD commentary is going to probably reemerge um, because he's going to get asked about his contract in Toronto when he does the media thing. Um, there's largely an expectation that he's going to go talk to his representatives in Toronto while he's there. Uh, I don't know if anything will get reported out of that. Petey might want nothing reported. They might all wear disguises and meet somewhere secret. Um, but I don't know. What do you think is up with this game right now? Is it just a matter of uh, maybe he's tired? Maybe he's going through one of his funks? Um, I, you know, for talking to come out and say I don't like his game right now, mm-hmm. it wasn't like he was like angry or anything. Like, but he said I haven't liked his game for three or four games. I think one of the reasons that the lotto line stopped working is that they stopped skating and. You know, that's exactly what Rick Tockett is saying. Like, he needs to move his feet out there. Sometimes PD, like, God, I'll go back to coaching kids, right? Like, one of the things you always have to tell kids is to keep your feet moving while you're stick handling. Because a lot of them fall in love with stick handling. They practice stick handling, and then they get out there and they start stick handling. And once in a while, you'll be able to, you know, put the put the puck between another guy's legs and, and you'll, you'll get away with it. And the, a lot of it is stick handling in place. Mm-hmm. But if you're not moving your feet out there while you're stick handling, you're going to turn it over nine times out of ten, and you know what Petey was doing last night? Besides falling intentionally. 
turning the puck over. <laughs> Can we replay the Rick Tockett audio of what his critiques were of Elias Pettersson after the game? Because I think it's important to hear directly from the guy that is in charge of ice time and is in charge of line combinations and is watching his star player play throughout the night. So here's the um, Rick Tockett on Elias Pettersson following last night's 4-3 loss to the St. Louis Blues. Take it away. I think he's got to skate. He's got to start skating a little bit. I think he's... You know, I, I, I think he's good with the moves sometimes, but I think when you have speed and make those moves, that's when he's at his best. So, yeah, we got to, you know, we'll get him going. So here's the good news for the Canucks. Because they came back and they got a point in that game, they are first place in the NHL with 69 points. Nice. 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 Boston nice. ended up losing to Carolina, did they? Um, so even Spencer on Martin. even on points percentage, yeah. even on points percentage, the Canucks are first in the league. They have People the best points percentage record in the league. You should um, remind Rance about that when he's on. I watched a bit of the uh, Toronto Winnipeg game, and that was a barn burner. <laughs> uh, it was actually, you know, listen, listen it was. I'm, I'm not a Leafs fan, but um, you got to feel good for Ilya Samsonov coming back and playing really well in now two straight games. When he was pretty much banished from the team and nobody was expecting him to play a role in Toronto down the stretch, now he comes back, they give him a few chances, and good for them for giving him a few chances, and that, he's had two really good games. The 2 on no save. Yeah. I mean, I mean, do we have audio on that right now? We like, just have the winning goal. Well, okay, I sent along the, some audio of, of that 2-on-0 of that, that the Leafs' power play gave up, like, the most egregious two on O and then like nobody back checked. It was like all the Leafs out there were like, they're probably going to score. And then Samsonov makes a bunch of saves and the Leafs are like, oh, we should probably just get back. <laughs> that was the most unpressured two on O like I've ever seen, even including all-star games. Crazy. <laughs> and then Sheldon Keefe benched his top power play unit, despite the fact that they were in a zero zero game against the Winnipeg Jets. Anyway, Austin Matthews scored his, what, 900th of the season to win it in overtime for the Leafs, so the Jets only got a point out of that. But, um, you know, I, I think the conversation has almost completely changed now in just a matter of two games in Toronto. Samsonov is back in the race to be the guy for the Leafs should they make the playoffs. Yeah, I think it speaks to the goaltending situation that after two games it's now... The narrative is flipped yet again. I don't, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a real headache for Keith when, and let's just say when they make the playoffs, not if they make the playoffs. I think they're more than good enough to make the playoffs, but he's going to have some serious decisions. And it's almost like the worst thing you can have going into the playoffs is when you have multiple options in net. Because we've seen countless playoff teams go in. And the moment that the guy in net struggles, when you have viable options behind him, it's, are you going to go to this guy? Let's watch who's in the starters crease tonight at the morning or this morning at the morning skate or everything. So right now they've got three legitimate options, I would say that they can play because all three have done it. Wall's done it during the regular season. Jones has done it during the regular season. And now Samsonov is back. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. I don't think that they're going to address this via trade anymore. We got a good text from Tones. He says, you know who didn't flop in OT? Austin Matthews. Stood on his feet. <laughs> Stood on his feet. That's, what's That's the key to play. goal scoring. That's how you get paid. If he wants to get paid, he's key to defending, too, is uh, stay on your feet. Because uh, you know what? Sometimes you get pushed out there in hockey. Sometimes there's pushing. If PD doesn't resign, it's Bruff's fault. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, we got a lot more to get to on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Coming up, uh, we're going to do our weekly NFL playoff preview with Nick Shook from NFL.com on a Thursday. We will look ahead to the AFC and NFC championships. Jim Harbaugh is now officially the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. Signed a five-year deal with the Chargers. So one less coaching vacancy available. We'll talk about that and the other vacancies now that the Chargers job has been filled. 7 o'clock, Luke Gazdick is going to join us. We should ask Luke so he can tell me that uh, Elias Pettersson went down too easy in overtime on that. Not a shove, but a cross-check. From Braden Shen, uh, 8 o'clock, Thomas Drance is going to join us. We've got a big show ahead. Don't forget to get your What We Learns in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. You are listening to the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Thursday. It was the music. It's just not It's not something that we normally do here on the Halford & Brough Feeling Show. feisty this yeah, morning. Yeah, I was going to say. This is a ZZ Cup. Halford & Brough of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 1 of the program. Uh, hour 1 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. There's a lot going on in the National Football League right now. We've got the AFC and NFC Championship games this Sunday. You know what else is happening this Sunday? I'm going to see Nate Bargatze. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm going to go see him down in Vegas. So I went up to you again. Again. (laughs) He's won yet another (laughs) argument. (laughs) Is that an argument? Uh, Anyway, there's a lot of coaching news as well. Jim Harbaugh is in. Uh, officially as the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. So let's go to the phone lines now. Uh, we are joined by our good friend from NFL.com, Nick Shook, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Nick. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's uh, the, the news is flying left and right. You know, we got we got uh, defensive coordinator Vic Fangio potentially headed to well, – actually, it sounds like he is headed to Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, you got a new coach in, in L.A. with the Chargers. Uh, it just continues left and right. You know, who, who says this is a – Time of the year when things slow down. Not me. This continues right now. Not Nick Shook. Nick, let's begin with the Harbaugh to Los Angeles. I've seen this described uh, specifically by ESPN and Dan Orlovsky as a perfect match for both sides. Uh, agree or disagree with that assessment? Um, yeah, I would agree. Uh, I, I think that, you know, he, he's had opportunities in the past few years. He's flirted with the NFL, and, and it seemed like now is the time. We'll see what the NCAA does if and whether they still have any sort of uh, authority to deliver sanctions or if there are sanctions uh, coming from, you know, the whole sign stealing thing with Michigan. But now is the perfect time, you know, kind of to pull a bit of a Pete Carroll, but more importantly to find the right pairing in the NFL. Uh, you have a, a team that is not quite ready-made, but is about as close as it gets when it comes to head coaching vacancies. You know, you have the franchise quarterback. You've got talent around him. You've got a franchise left tackle. Uh, and you've got studs on defense. I think that there's going to be a bit of roster turnover there, uh, kind of cycling out some of the older guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball, uh, in order to get younger and get more competitive and everything else. But they're not as bad of a team as they played last year. And I think that if anybody's going to rally a group, 
it's it's Jim Harbaugh. The only thing I worry about, and this is you know, was kind of the thing that happened to him in San Francisco. Although that that seems like quite a long time ago now. We're looking at about ten, twelve years. Um, it is he seemed to wear out his welcome there? And I don't know if that was an issue with Trent Baalke and and an ego thing. You know, so much of this business and really any business is driven by ego, but especially in the NFL. Um, I don't know if it was that or, or what happened, but for all the success he had there, you know, it fizzled out rather quickly. I don't want to see the same thing happen to the Chargers. It's obviously looking way too far down the road, but it does make a lot of sense to bring in a guy with NFL experience, winning experience at the collegiate and the professional levels, and kind of get the Chargers back on track because they have not, you know, been headed in the right direction, I think, for quite a while now. And, and if, it, if it were time for the Chargers to finally make a solid head coaching hire and not go for the young guy and not go for the guy with the upside, but go for somebody that's proven and wants to be in the NFL. And, oh, by the way, has a history of playing quarterback for them. Then this is the guy. What is it that makes Harbaugh such a good coach? And I think he he is a good coach. I mean, he just won a national title for Michigan. And when he was coaching in the NFL with the 49ers, they won a lot more games than they lost. I think he's a great motivator, and especially at the collegiate level. Um, that's actually why I was kind of surprised that it took Michigan as long as it did with him there to you know, become what they are now. And I'm curious to see how they rebound with him gone now. I think that they have a great program in place that he has put together, but ultimately he is a fantastic motivator and leader of a team. And that's why it works so well at the collegiate level, and it worked really well with San Francisco. you got to remember – what San Francisco came from when he was hired, they had Mike Singletary as their coach prior. Before that, it was it was you know Mike Nolan and a number of you know in and out retreads guys that were there for a couple of years didn't work out, and you're going on to somebody else. He was like a breath of fresh air and somebody that you know could not only talk the talk but walk the walk and produce the results that these players wanted to get out of you know their NFL careers. They also happen to have some some legitimate talent on that team, you know. The switch to Colin Kaepernick, you know, boosted that offense in their run back then. But they also had guys like Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman. You can continue to go down the list. They added Justin Smith, you know, the veteran edge rusher who started his career in Cincinnati. There was a number of guys that were very good on that football team, Frank Gore. Um, but what he, what does he do at the NFL level other than that? I don't know because, you know, that, that time that he was with San Francisco – it felt like a star burning out because it was just like this great, maybe it was like a bomb being dropped. I don't know. The, the great flash, you know, where it, it was spectacular. And then before you knew it, it was over. Um, and since then he's been, you know, in college. And then one difference between college and the NFL is, you know, if you can be a great motivator, of 18, 19, 20 year olds, it's harder to sell that type of approach to NFL players. These guys are professionals. We've seen it fail in other places. Matt rule. Most recently, I think is the big name that went from college to the NFL. The thing that Chargers fans got to feel good about, though, is this guy has NFL experience, and he's at that point in his career now where he's probably learned enough through his experiences because he's a passionate guy. He's kind of a stubborn guy to a degree, um, and I may have heard him in the past. I think as he's gotten older, he's probably realized, you know, what is his secret sauce? What is the formula that really works for him? Um, and I don't know if it's strategic as much as building a program the right way and surrounding himself with quality coaches. That's really what's been the key, where, no matter where he's been. So Harbaugh to the Chargers, Mayo will take over for Belichick in New England, and Brian Callahan was hired by the Tennessee Titans. Does Belichick land with Atlanta, Carolina, Seattle, or Washington? I think we talked about this last week, that Washington would be a great fit, right? Um, and it's that one kind of makes a lot of sense to me, and, and we're not seeing movement on that job as quickly as I anticipated, which is probably – 
you know, a good thing for this franchise, but also a product of, you know, a franchise going out and hiring Bob Myers to oversee this process, to hire quality people. Belichick's a quality person, but I think what may we may be seeing right now is what we talked about already, which is, you know, the power afforded to him in New England is not unprecedented. It's not unmatched, but it's hard to get that from an NFL owner, an NFL team in today's day and age. They want a GM. They want a personnel chief to work with the coach. Um, when it does happen, it's usually somebody who's younger or in that middle range. They're in like their fifties and it's like, this is their prime of their coaching era where they, they, they are able to be the football czar and oversee everything. And it all, and it makes a lot of sense on paper. Belichick is not that young. And so I think that, you know, for the reputation that he has and all the gas that's still in the tank, I, I wonder, and this is complete speculation, but I wonder if those who are vetting him have sat back and thought, you know, do I want to give the keys to the entire franchise to a guy who may not be here that long? Do we really want to do that? And then you talk about desperation. What team really needs to get back on track? Washington would be a great place for that if they still had Dan Snyder as their owner, but they don't. They've turned the page to a new era. They're they're no longer operating on this shortened timeline where we need to start to produce results or fans are going to continue to not come to our games. There's a lot of optimism in that town. I don't know if Bill Belichick's the fit for that. Atlanta's in a weird place right now where they can go in any direction. They don't have a quarterback. That makes it a tougher fit for Belichick, who just dealt with not having a quarterback in New England for the last three years. Um, so it, it, it's getting a little complicated. But at the same time, you sit back and think, who wouldn't want to hire this guy? The only, the only team that I think is the only owner that wouldn't want to hire it is somebody who doesn't want to give him that type of power. And and so we'll see what happens. But it is definitely becoming an interesting storyline. Yeah, it's funny. I don't see him as a fit in Seattle because John Schneider is there. He's like, I'm the boss now. <laughs> if you right. bring in Belichick, he's like, ah, I'm not the boss anymore. I was the boss for about four weeks. It makes it more complicated. It makes it more difficult to pair up because that is the structure now. That is the, the, the model that every owner seeks is is GM and coach. Sometimes it's coach first, then it's GM. Um, ideally, it's GM and then it's coach. But you want that sort of partnership, um, that collaboration built in when you make that hire and start yourself on a new you know course for a football team. And I think that you know for teams that have GMs that they respect, like a John Schneider, there's not room for that. There's not room for that with Belichick. There just isn't. You go with the younger coach, or you go with the coach of, with familiarity. You don't go with a football czar like Belichick. And I also, you know, honestly. We'll see how this bears out. I'm sure he'll get a job somewhere because he's Bill Belichick, for God's sake. But I, I think that there is some legitimacy to wondering if, you know, the game has passed him by a little bit. What happened in New England the last three years, you know, was one year, you know, okay, we can explain we don't have Tom Brady. Two years, all right, we still have to find our quarterback. Three years, you know, what, what's that old saying? Uh, something about three is a trend or something like that. It's, it's starting to point to, um, you know, maybe that is the case. So we'll see. We're speaking to Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, let's turn our attention to the uh, championship games here on Sunday, Nick. Uh, we'll start in the AFC. It's the Baltimore Ravens. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm watching. I was sick over the weekend, so I, I watched a lot of football, like start to finish. I'm watching the Ravens take on the Texans, and it's tied 10-10 at the half. And I'm thinking, wow, this is a pretty good performance by the Texans. They're hanging around. They're not doing much on offense, but they got the special teams points. Maybe they'll pull this thing out. And then the Ravens were like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to run the ball down your throat in the second half and completely dominate. And then, lo and behold, 34-10. to 10. It's a, it, They got a really good ground game. They can really dominate, not just offensively, but the entire game because time of possession comes into it. Is that going to be the game plan on Sunday against the Chiefs? And if so, how can the Chiefs slow down that, that Baltimore run game? 
Yeah, that game felt the second half felt like it was a an animal playing with its food yep. for the whole first yep. half, and then decided to go in for the kill. Um, and and I was in the same spot where I was like, "Hey, it's a tie game. Anything can happen. Maybe this is the half in which CJ Stroud, you know, finds it and actually is able to move the ball down the field." And he had some bright spots and moments, but we we all should have known when we got to halftime and they hadn't scored an offensive touchdown that things weren't going to be great for them. Right. And and you saw the game, you know, eventually slip away for them. Um, in favor of the Ravens with Lamar having a great half and, and, like you said, running the ball down their throat. Because that's the thing that I think people don't pay. The Ravens are the best team in football right now, and it's not just because of Lamar Jackson. That's not to discount Lamar. He's going to win MVP, and he's having a fantastic finish this season. We're going to remember this finish for a long time, by the way. As we move on in future years, we're going to think about what Lamar Jackson did in the last four weeks, five weeks of the regular season, plus the playoff run especially if they get to the Super Bowl and win it because it's it's fantastic. But they're not just him. They they are a dominant running game when everything's working. He plays a part in that of course, but the Justice Hill, Gus Edwards, you know, combo is, is powerful. They run hard and we'll see what Dalvin Cook can do. I think yeah. he's, he's lost a step, but he's on he's on the roster, right? Um and then the defense the defense has been a fantastic uh, blossoming unit in in the second half of the season. They create pressure with unorthodox looks. They, I swear, I've watched so many games this year in the back half of the season where quarterbacks drop a pass and they never see the defensive back blitzing, and he, they just get crushed. And I'm sitting there thinking, you watch tape on this team for weeks. They, they've been doing this for weeks. How do you not have an answer for this? And I think it comes down to talent scheme. And I think that. You know, defensively, the Ravens are going to own an advantage, which is crazy to think because the Chiefs have one of the best defenses in football. And it's going to be, you know, they're going to make for a really tough challenge for this Baltimore offense. But Baltimore has the X factor. You know, I know Kansas City has Patrick Mahomes, but Baltimore has Lamar Jackson. They are different quarterbacks. Lamar is a guy that when everything breaks down around you and everything's going properly for a defense, he'll still find a way to make positive games. It's one of the most frustrating things to watch if you're a fan of an opposing team. And it's one of the most thrilling things to witness if you're just a football fan, and especially if you're a Ravens fan. And I think that will truly be the difference. As, as, as cliche as it sounds, I do think Lamar Jackson will be the difference. So the running game is going to matter, but Lamar is going to matter even more against this defense, which has thrived against most every offense that they've faced this year, save for last week, even though they got the stops they needed. Um, it's going to come down to Lamar, and the running game is going to be a big part of that. But I'm, I'm super curious to see. The Chiefs have started to put it together offensively, right? Last couple of games, they've been able to, you know, break the 23, 24-point mark, finally consistently show some life as an offense outside of just Mahomes trying his best and, and hoping it works out. Things are starting to click for them. Is this the week that it, it, they revert to that? Because Baltimore's defense is so good at creating pressure, and Kansas City's strength in the passing game has been within 10 air, air yards, according to Next Gen Stats. This has been their strength. They're not the explosive downfield team they once were. We all know why. Um, and Baltimore, if they can create that pressure and they can lock it down, you know, in those first 10 air yards, then it's going to be a really tough day for the Chiefs. And, and I, I think the Ravens could run away with it with that defense being the final blow um, to this to this entire operation. I mean, I see the Ravens with a, a double-digit win, as crazy as it sounds, um, because I think every team, is, team at this point in the playoffs is flawed. But the Ravens look like the most complete team out of all of them. And it has a lot to do with more than just Lamar Jackson. I'm with you on that, by the way. How much did the Bills' banged-up defense play a role in the Chiefs' 27-24 win uh, last week? Um, Travis Kelsey against... I don't I, I don't know what the linebacking core was, but I know it was banged up. Um, and there were um, a few plays where it looked really easy for him. Now, he's one of the greatest tight ends ever, so a lot of plays look easy for him. But how different is, gonna, is it going to be for him against the Ravens? 
Yeah, but nothing has looked easy for the Chiefs this year, right? So that was like, it, I think we're dealing with a bit of fool's gold because, look, wild card weekend, they play in basically sub-zero temperatures against a team from Miami and, and win that game with relative ease in, in, in an environment that's tough for anybody to play in. And then they go and, and play a Buffalo defense that's just incredibly banged up. I mean, they're missing multiple defensive players, multiple defensive backs, multiple linebackers. Um, you know, it, I felt bad for Bills fans because they lost this game. I was not surprised that they lost this game. I, I think I got my score prediction right down by the, the right down to the three point difference. Hmm. And the, the difference to me going into that game was the fact that they just weren't as strong and as deep defensively as they've been earlier in the year. I mean, it, this was a battered bunch that had to feel you know fortunate to be there and and hope for the best. You know, Buffalo. Bills fans are, are gutted because they lost on wide right and everything else, but this is not about that. This is about the fact that, you know, they were an operation that was, you know, working with duct tape and bubble gum, and, and it ultimately fell apart at that point. So it, when you evaluate the Chiefs, you think, is this legitimate? You know, is this run that they've put together in the last couple of games really legitimate, or are they still the same team that's just been able to find some things to work against teams, you know, in advantageous situations? I don't know. We're going to find out, but I think that this weekend is going to prove that out, that, that uh, that the Ravens are the better team, and um, that the Chiefs probably have to go back to the drawing board with their weapons because you know I, I saw Marquez Valdez-Scantling catch a pass last week, and I thought, oh my God, MVS finally did something. I mean, he finished with the second most receiving yards for them behind Travis Kelsey. But it was a Travis Kelsey game. It was a classic game for the Chiefs when it came to their quarterback and tight end and Isaiah Pacheco. I don't think that's going to hold up as well against this Ravens defense. I just don't. Okay, let's go to the NFC Championship here. My thoughts on this are as follows. San Fran got away with one last weekend against Green Bay. They didn't play great. In fact, I think they played poorly, but they managed to make plays down the stretch, and they watched Green Bay make mistakes down the stretch also, which is a big part of this whole thing. So they were able to almost get that out of their system. Now they've got a Lions team. I know the Lions have looked good, and I know they've won two playoff games, but both were at home. There was a real emotional lift about giving this first playoff victory in 30-plus years to the home fans, but now they got to go across the country into San Fran and take on a team that knows that it didn't play well last week. I feel like this could be another, maybe like you said with the Baltimore KC game, a double-digit score. I just I have a hard time seeing Detroit get out of here with a win. Honestly, I have a hard time seeing this one with Detroit getting out of there, keeping this game really close. Yeah. Um, I think that's why, you know, San Francisco enters the weekend is the favorite. That's kind of the logic behind it. But how much of that are we basing on their reputation that they build over the course of the season, as opposed to what they've done recently? Yeah. It's that's, a lot of that's that my big question. What, what team are they right now? Um, I just wrote up something on Brock Purdy talking about how he's leaving his struggles from last weekend in last weekend. Uh, and he's moving on the rain. I don't know why the rain makes him, struggle so much, but it does, you know, grip of the football, whatever it is, the conditions and everything else. But um, I'm curious to see what Niners team, you know, we really get. Uh, Dio Samuel is obviously a big part of it. Um, you've seen the, the record splits with him on the field versus him off the field. I think that played a part in that game. But it, it, there was that rest versus rust thing where they just, they just, you're right, they got away with one. I mean, they, they shook off the rust because there was a period there in the first half where I felt the entire football collective universe ready to fire off their tweets that Brock Purdy wasn't capable of doing the job and he was the weak link and he's struggling and they're going to lose because of him. And then he drops a 32 yard touchdown pass on George Kittle yeah. and everyone goes, ah, oh, just as I was about to crush him, he does something like that. Um, and I feel like that's what we're going to get out of him this weekend. But you, you raise a very good point about these lines. They had two home games, a lot of emotion. Um, and, and I was worried going to last weekend, whether 
that first playoff win, they were going to be emotionally exhausted and fall apart in the divisional round. They didn't. They were able to do their job. They have the toughness that you need to win those games, but it's a lot tougher to do so on the road than it is in the conference of Ford Field. So um, I was impressed by the Lions' ability to counter what the Buccaneers brought to the table, which is heavy blitzes, because the one thing that beats the Lions is pressure. Manufactured pressure, getting Jared Goff out of rhythm and off his spot is a huge way to impact that offense and, and really undercut their potential to put, to put points on the board. Um, and they were able to overcome that. I was, I, was just, I was blown away by the fact that they were able to kind of pull away in that game. But can they do it against the better team this weekend? I'm not sure. The Niners' defense is interesting to me because personnel-wise and performance-wise for a good portion of the season, they're very good. But they have not stood up against some of the toughest tests you know, late in the season, that Baltimore game was one of them. And I'm curious, you know, with the addition of Chase Young and Nick Bosa, you know, already being on that, on that edge rushing group, are they the group that's able to do it? Or is Detroit going to, you know, produce a similar performance like they did against the Tampa Bay defense that's aggressive and was good at getting home? I don't know. I think that's going to be the difference in this game. Um, and, and the location, I think, is going to have a lot to do with it. So, I think we're in for a great one. I don't see the Niners necessarily pulling away. Um, if you're going off of vibes, you go with the Lions because they're everybody's favorite story. Everybody wants to see the Lions get to their first Super Bowl. And so, you know, when I would delivered my pick, I said, you know what, screw it. We're going to ride the vibe train. We're going to go Lions by one point. But one point difference tells you everything you need to know about my confidence and how this one's actually going to turn out. It is the opposite of what I believe is going to happen in Ravens Chiefs. I think it's a toss-up. And the Lions have to play nearly perfect to come away with a win. So far, they've done pretty close to that to get to this point. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it again. It's going to be a great test of a team that is here for the first time against a team that is probably getting tired of only getting here. You know, third straight NFC championship appearance. It's about time they win one. We'll see if they can get it done against the Lions. Nick, you're the best, buddy. Thanks for doing this. We appreciate it. When we do this next week, we'll be previewing the Super Bowl. Can't wait. Yeah, me too. I'm ready to figure out who's going to be there and get prepared to uh, spend a week in Vegas covering them. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Before we go to break, Bruff wants to touch very quickly on the crisis. Yes, crisis. Dun, dun, dun. In Los Angeles, uh, involving the Los Angeles well, Kings. we had a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line and said, have you checked where the LA Kings are in the standings? Sure yeah, have, bro. Yeah, they're they're hanging on right now. They're in the first wildcard spot. And this is a team that, remember, began the season and we were saying we're not talking enough about the Kings because the Canucks hadn't played the Kings. Um, but they were playing really well. 16-4-3 to start yeah. the season. And I remember thinking, ooh, I picked the New Jersey Devils to win the Stanley Cup and the Devils weren't looking good and still really aren't looking very good. Um, but I was like, ooh, can I change my Stanley Cup pick? And then I was like, I think it might be the Kings – and then, of course, what happens is the LA Kings fall apart. They had a really bad loss last night at home to the Buffalo Sabers, oh, where they where they had a three one lead. Was it? Were yeah. they up three one yeah. or even three nothing? Three one, and ended up losing the game five three. They're now eight nine six eight nine and six at home. Please do not at any point of the season pick the Canucks to win the cup. Just don't don't, worry, don't even think about it. Not going to do that. I am not tempted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, not the King, tempted to do that. The Kings have lost 12 of their last 14. Todd McClellan, who we brought up yesterday as it pertains to Gerard Glant openly auditioning for NHL gigs. Uh, Todd McClellan shouldered the responsibility, which is always a bad sign for a coach when he's tired of critiquing the players and he starts turning it inward on himself. But more interestingly, in terms 
of words spoken after the game. Drew Doughty took shots at unnamed teammates. We've got the audio here. I'm not sure about how great the quality is, so turn up your radios, listen closely. Here's what Drew Doughty had to say after the Kings blew a 3-1 first period lead and lost to the Sabres last night. Their 12th loss in 14 games. Um, I think we got guys in this room who are too worried about themselves and worried about their points and worried about stuff like that. We get a 3-1 lead tonight. And you know, guys start thinking it's a it's a cookie night, and we stop playing the way we know how to play. Have an awful second period, and then aren't much better in the third. Uh, it's about the team; it's not about yourself. And a lot of guys on this team will need to realize that. If you're wondering what Pierre Luc Dubois did yesterday, <laughs> he did score a goal on the power play, but he only played 11 minutes on the night and was minus one. You know, kudos. To Jonathan Davis from Sirius XM NHL Satellite Radio. We've had him on the show a few times. And I remember way back when the Kings made the trade for Dubois and then signed him to that gargantuan extension. Everyone was like, what a great move. That's going to put the Kings over the top. Look at how deep they are down the middle. They got Kopitar. They got Deneau. Now they got PLD. Jonathan Davis was the only guy that was like, I don't think that this is a good move. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they needed this. And they gave up a lot of good roster players to get him. But he was the only one that was saying it. I mean, I was on. I was like, yeah, this is a great move for well, the Kings. Do you, do you know the, the, the old saying that whoever gets the best player in a trade wins the trade? Sure. Right? Um, the thing with this is not only did the Jets get more players and those players are playing well in Winnipeg, the best player in this trade, the trade that, like, that, yeah. that this was built around – is playing the worst of all of them. That's crazy. Right? It's true. That's exactly what it is. There were four players involved, and one guy, the star player, is the worst of the four right now. Exactly. Yeah. On pace for 18 goals and 36 points. And he's got a huge contract that goes till forever. Like, it's actually an infinity contract. They let him sign it. They don't usually do that under the CBA, but it's just, it's a remarkable thing because I kind of anticipated that the Kings might not go to like 16, 4, and 3 clip the entire season. I thought there'd be some regression, but not like this. I do wonder what the future has in store for Todd McClellan. We'll keep our eyes on it. Uh, Coming up on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650, we're going to dive back into last night's game. Canucks 4-3 overtime loss to the Blues. Uh, Luke Gazdick, former NHLer, now an NHL analyst for Sportsnet, is going to join us to break it all down. You're not going to want to miss it. First-time guest on the Halford and Brough Show, Luke Gazdick. Uh, That's all coming up next. You're listening to the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650.